0: society 13 podcast network redefining podcasts do you like to listen my name is marianne and i'm an executive producer for the history Ghost bump podcast i chose to support them above all the other podcasts to listen to because i think it's fantastic to have a podcast without advertising and the work that they put into each episode is tremendous it's really high quality they're a lot of fun to listen to and i just have so much respect for what they do so thank you girls Hello you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 215th episode of the History Ghostbump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we're going across the pond to a little town called Derby. We're going to talk about Haunted Derby today. This was suggested to us by our listener, Nellie Johnson. Before we get into that, we have a boatload of people to welcome into the spooktacular crew, Denise. This is fantastic once again. We'd like to welcome Jen with two N's. Hey, Jen with two N's. Victoria. Hi, Victoria. Jeanette. Hey, Jeanette. Myrion. And I hope I said that right. Hello, Myrion. Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. Jason. Hey,
1: Jason. Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Kristen. Hey, Kristen. Laura. Hi, Laura. Wilson. Hey, Wilson. Debbie. Hey, Debbie. Tamara. Hello, Tamara. Emily. Hi, Emily. Penny's Dreadful. Hello, Penny's Dreadful. Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie.
0: Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Cecilia. Hey, Cecilia. Laura. Hi, Laura. And I'm not sure exactly how to say this. Fiend, and it's F-E-I-N-D. Hello, Fiend. Joel. Hi, Joel. Amadej. Hello, Amadej. Janine. Hey, Janine. Lil and Fitz of the Knock Once for Yes podcast. Hi, Lil and Fitz from Knock Once. Lisa. Hey, Lisa. I'm not sure about how to say this one either. Mahed, M-H-E-A-D. Hello, Mahed. Pamela. Hi, Pamela. Carissa with a K and an E. Hey, Carissa with a K and an E. And Samantha. Hello, Samantha. We've been loving having all you guys pile in here. We also have already gotten two submissions for the Flash Fiction Contest for 2017. So keep those coming in. Yes, because we really enjoy reading your all's work. We have the rules posted up on the History Goes Bump page and also in the Spooktacular crew. Submissions are due by midnight on September 1st, 2017. The word limit is a thousand. If you go over a tad, that's okay. Creepy or scary science fiction, something of that nature. Keep it in the PG-13 lower R rating and uh, get those sent into us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we have three winners that we have some great prizes to go to and your stories will be read on the podcast. So that'll be very cool. And now, this moment in oddity. Human unicorns have been reported throughout world history. The term describes exactly what you might think. This is a human with a horn growing out of their head. Before 1900, there were over 100 documented cases of humans growing horns elderly female cases were the most prevalent. One human unicorn that was made famous by Robert Ripley was a Chinese farmer named Wang who was from Manchukuo. He was discovered in 1930 by a Russian banker who took a picture of him and sent it to Ripley. The picture showed Wang sporting a 14-inch spire-like horn growing from the back of his head. Ripley tried to find Wang and bring him to his auditorium, but no one could find the man. Ripley even offered a huge cash reward. These horns that grow from human unicorns are not really horns. Most of them are caused by benign calvarial tumors. This is due to an aggressive variant of a condition known as cornocutaneum. These horns can grow on any part of the body. It was actually very rare for them to just appear on the head. Today there are nearly no cases of people growing horns because modern medicine stops them before they can become a problem. Humans growing horns from their bodies certainly is odd.
1: You're not afraid of a little ghost, are you?
0: And now, This Month in History.
1: In the month of August, on the 1st in 1944, Anne Frank penned her last entry into her diary. Three days later, a car pulled up outside of a spice warehouse at 263 Prisengrat in Amsterdam. Inside the car were an Austrian Gestapo officer and some Dutch soldiers. They had come to arrest the eight Jews hiding in the attic of the warehouse. One of those Jews was Anne. In her last entry, she had written in part, I am afraid that people who know me as I usually am will discover I have another side, a better and finer side. I'm afraid they'll mock me, think I'm ridiculous and sentimental, and not take me seriously. I'm used to not being taken seriously, but only the lighthearted Anne is used to it and can put up with it. The deeper Anne is too weak. Believe me, I'd like to listen, but it doesn't work. Because if I'm quiet and serious, everyone thinks I'm putting on a new act and I have to save myself with a joke. And then I'm not even talking about my own family, who assume I must be sick stuff me with aspirins and sedatives, fill my neck and forehead to see if I have a temperature, ask about my bowel movements, and berate me for being in a bad mood until I just can't keep it up anymore. Because when everybody starts hovering over me, I get cross, then sad, and finally end up turning my heart inside out, the bad part on the outside and the good part on the inside, and keep trying to find a way to become what I'd like to be and what I could be if. If only there were no other people in the world. Anne would be taken to Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in Germany and died there at the age of 15 from typhus in March of 1945. We'd like to believe that Anne became exactly whom she could be because her diary survived and has sold more than 30 million copies. Derby has been described as the ghost capital of England. The city claims to have 159 known ghosts. The center of the city lies on a series of rolling hills and claims a history that goes back to the Roman occupation and forts. While it was once a place of strife and fortification, it became a center for the Industrial Revolution. The vast number of pubs still located in Derby serve as a testament to the value given to the public houses for centuries here. And just under the din of the nightlife are the stories of those things that go bump in the night. Come with us as we do a pub crawl and travel to a jail and hotels in search of spirits to find out if Derby really is one of the most haunted cities in Britain.
0: The Derby area was first settled by the Romans. They began to build a series of forts to protect the boundary of this newly conquered area. One of those forts was across the Durant River on the east side and they called it Derventio. A civil settlement grew up around the camp and the Romans stayed for over three centuries. The Saxons were the next group to arrive and many historians believe that the Vikings were here at the same time and that both groups coexisted. The Saxons changed the name of the fort to Little Chester and it still has that name today. The name Derby came around this time and is derived from the Danish word Dior which means dear settlement. The settlement grew from a place of fortification to one of trade and by the 10th century it had a mint and a market. The town was filled with blacksmiths, carpenters, and comb makers. Derby was about mid-sized with a population of around 2,000 by 1086.
1: The Doomsday survey said of the town, Derby was a self-contained agricultural community grinding its own corn, fattening its own livestock, shaping its own crude farm implements, weaving its own cloth, and even catching its own fish from the Derwent and ills from Simfin. Doomsday also mentions six churches in the region. All Saints, which became Derby Cathedral in 1927, St. Elkman's, St. Michael's, St. Peter's, St. Werburgh's, and St. Mary's. In the early part of the 13th century, the marketplace of Derby was a busy commercial center with shops and stalls. The reign of Henry VIII would change things in Derby, with the king closing the priory, the leper hostel, and the friary in the 1530s. A tower was added to the All Saints Church at that time. During Bloody Mary's reign, a woman named Joan Walsh was burned for heresy in Derby. Severe outbreaks of plague hit in 1636 and 1665.
0: The town later became a center of defense, with Sir John Gell becoming governor of Derby in 1643, and he set up a garrison of parliamentary troops that helped defend Nottingham during the Civil War of 1642 to 1646. These troops took part in the defense of Lichfield, Hopton, Heath, Staffordshire, Cheshire, and Derbyshire. Bonnie Prince Charlie would set up his camp in Derby a hundred years later and his council of war room that was at Exeter House has been set up as a replica at the Derby Museum in the city center. From the middle of the 18th century porcelain was made in Derby. Gas began lighting the streets of the town in 1821 and the railway arrived in 1839. A new town hall was constructed in 1842 and a hospital for sick children was opened in 1877, followed by the Derby School of Art in 1878, and a public library and museum was built in 1879. Electric lights were switched on in 1894, and railway engine workshops employed much of the population. Derby would be awarded city status by Queen Elizabeth II on June 7, 1977. It was one of the few towns that still did not have city status up until then, even though it had a cathedral. Today, Derby is a city full of historical buildings and also apparently full of ghosts, Denise.
1: Most of the paranormal activity in the city occurs in buildings situated along the old A6. There are reputedly ley lines here, and some claim that it is the psychic energy of these lines that draws spirits. Richard Felix is a leading paranormal researcher in the area, and he thinks there's another reason why there are so many hauntings here. He said, So many things have happened, so many people have passed through, so much energy has been expelled here. We have the last hanging, drawing, and quartering in England, and the only peer to be hanged for murder. A woman named Jenny Richards owns a terrace house on the outer edge of Derby. She is certain that she and her son share a home with a ghost of an old man. She has been touched by him and her son has seen him. There are several private homes that are haunted, but some of the most haunted places in Derby are its pubs. Pubs have always been plentiful and popular in the town. It is said that in 1588 there was one L house for every 40 people and by 1688 one L house to every 30 people. By 1633, Derby had an estimated population of 85,574 and around 541 pubs.
0: That's a lot of ale, Denise. (laughs) Yes, it is. Well, since there are so many haunted pubs in this city, we probably should do a haunted pub crawl right now.
1: Absolutely. So go ahead and grab your virtual brew.
0: Yes, so whatever you drink, or if you're like us and you don't drink alcohol, a lemonade, a tea, whatever, a Coke, something like that. Belly up to the first bar that we're going to go into. This one's called the Fat Cat. The Fat Cat Pub used to be called Tonic. It is spread over two floors and stands over what is believed to be a former stable. The haunting connected to this pub is on the outside where a few witnesses claim to have heard the sounds of horses and actually see the apparition of a man trying to catch a horse. A ghostly horse and carriage has been seen making its way past on Friar Gate. And so moving right along,
1: we get to the Seymour's Bar. Seymour's Bar is known for being a small cozy place with an indie music jukebox. There's a large outdoor drinking area adjacent to St. Warburg's Churchyard. And that may just be the problem for this little bar because it reportedly is haunted. Employees claim that the spirit of a friendly elderly woman dressed in gray haunts this pub. The smell of lavender accompanies her presence. There are reports of mild poltergeist behavior that involve the disappearance of small items that generally show up again a few days later.
0: Whenever I hear about poltergeists doing this kind of thing where they take things and then they bring them back a few days later, I always wonder what that's about. Do they think to themselves, I like those keys. I think I'll borrow them for a couple days. Do they test them out and find out they can't open anything with them or they just get tired of playing with them and then return them? What is the deal with them taking things and then returning it later? Or
1: they just appreciate watching us run around frantically trying to find them and uprooting the house only to find them in a place we already looked for.
0: Ah, see, that's the kind of ghost I'm going to be a prankster. So maybe that is the problem. Yes. just having a lot of fun. And me, I'm going to have a
1: lavender smell, even though I don't wear
0: it that much because <laughs> I love the smell of lavender. Well, it's better than, <laughs> I don't know what an old, old lady smell is. <laughs> oh my. Next up on our pub crawl, we have the Silk Mill Ale and Cider House. And I like the sound of cider. I love cider. The Silk Mill Ale and Cider House was built in 1928 to replace an older pub that had the same name. It looks similar to the old Dolphin Pub and it has this Tudor style. So another pub we're going to talk about in a minute. They both have a Tudor style to them. The silk mill name was inspired by a nearby iconic Industrial Revolution mill where silk was first spun on John Lohm's factory system in 1722. That silk mill is said to be haunted by a young boy worker who was kicked down the stairs for not working hard enough. Talk about needing some child labor laws. This Silk Mill pub features three areas. It has a central bar, a dining area at the rear, and the Offler's Lounge through an arched opening to the right of the bar. And the pub is said to be haunted by the ghost of a Jacobite who was billeted here in the 18th century.
1: And now the Seven Stars pub. The Seven Stars pub is very old and is known to locals as Seven Seats. The resident ghost here is known as George. He used to manifest as a shadow figure in the attic, but now is heard as a whispered cacophony of disembodied voices, as he manifests with poltergeist activity. He switches off the lights and beer taps. There was a mysterious well found under the pub in the 1960s, and some wonder if this is where George's spirit has come from. Did he perhaps fall into this well?
0: Next up, we have Falstaff Public House. The Falstaff Public House is a smaller and quieter bar tucked back up off of Silver Hill Road. It was formerly the Falstaff Hotel and looks like a hotel still being that it is two-story and rather big for a pub. It is built from red brick and has several fireplaces. There are three separate rooms here, a cozy snug, and that's what they call the room, a small yard with an impressive modern sculpture, and the main bar. The pub is full of Offler's Brewery memorabilia and other artifacts. This pub claims to be haunted by four separate ghosts. We have a young boy, an ex-landlord, an Irish prize-winning bare-knuckle fighter, and a sergeant major. These apparitions are seen full-bodied, but there are other paranormal occurrences that entail lights turning off and on by themselves and objects moving about the bar unassisted really is amazing how many bars we hear about being haunted. And generally speaking, you have a lot of lights going on and off and glasses moving around on their own.
1: Yeah, I wonder what that's all about. But all I know is I definitely want a room called the Cozy Snug.
0: Whenever I hear them described in any of these pubs, they do sound like kind of like what we would call a den in a house where you got your little fireplace there and you could sit by the fireplace on a cold winter evening and sip your brew.
1: Yeah, well, you got to love a room that has to do with snugging. (laughs)
0: Well, I don't know if you want to do a whole lot of snugging in a bar unless you're there with somebody that you know personally. You don't want a a stranger who's been drinking five beers coming over and saying, hey, you want a cozy snug? This is true.
1: (laughs) And next we have Jurox. Jurox, the former Lafferty's pub, was featured in the UK series Most Haunted during the second season. The pub had previously been the George Inn. The Georgian was one of the most famous coaching inns in Derby and was built in 1693. During the 1745 uprising, the inn housed the Duke of Devonshire's headquarters. A skull dating back to 917 was found on the property. A poltergeist plays havoc here with drinks, moving them around
0: and dumping them out on the floor. So I wonder if it belongs to that skull. And I find it fascinating that they have this skull dating back to 917. It's amazing that it managed to last that long and they just dug it up under the property. I know, that's just... But you know, if you have a skull that just happens to show up under a property, why would it be there? I don't suppose they just buried one person there. So it does make you wonder, is this on top of a cemetery that used to be there? That's what I'm thinking. You're going to love this next pub, Denise, because what is one of your favorite mammals? It would be a dolphin. So this is the Ye old Dolphin Pub. The E. Old Dolphin Pub stands at the junction of Queens and Full Streets. The Tudor-style building was erected in 1530, and that makes this Derby's oldest public house. So if you want to go to the oldest bar in Derby, you have to go to the Dolphin. That's pretty cool. I like it. The Dolphin brewed its own ale early on, but no longer does that today. There are four separate rooms that make up the pub, including the main bar, the Offler's Bar or Offler's Brewery, the lounge bar that is covered in oak and has an open hearth, and the Snug which is described as a room that has a warmth and character of its own. Many conversations and debates have been had in this quirky little gem of a room. And in winter, there's no better place when the coal fire is at full blaze.
1: Okay, snug rooms just got even better. I like quirky little gem.
0: (laughs) Years ago, the cellar of the dolphin was used as a mortuary to keep the bodies of those executed by hanging in the marketplace. For this reason it is said that the cellar is haunted by the spirits of some of these people. The resident ghost here is known as the Grey Lady or the Blue Lady and the current landlord Jim Harris has seen her himself. It is thought that she was the mistress of Dick Turpin. The Flying Scotsman is supposed to be one of the ghosts here and there is a small girl spirit that sits on the stairs leading up to the restaurant.
1: Another legend connected to the cellar has led to it being called the Vault of Terror. A young doctor wanted to practice his dissection skills in the 18th century and the cellar was the perfect place. He secretly had the body of a dead girl delivered in the dead of the night. There was just one problem. The young woman was not dead. He had just begun to cut open her abdomen to remove her entrails when her eyes snapped open and she leapt up from the table screaming. She tried to return her intestines to the inside of her body, but she soon lost consciousness and died from the loss of blood. It is said that this drove the doctor mad and his hair turned white. He was locked up in an asylum for the rest of his days. They say the agonized, horrified screams of the girl can still be heard in the dead of the night just below the lounge. The pub features medium nights on occasion for those wishing to talk with the spirits here. So I guess that would be the one mark against Ye Old Dolphin Pub is that they tempt the spirits. I mean, can you imagine how horrible?
0: I absolutely could not. The Friary Pub. This one was opened in 1996 and is located near Friar Gate and also houses a late night music venue named Scream. How appropriate. The building was originally the Friary Hotel that had been opened by the Whitaker family in 1922 and features a grand pillared entrance. Before the hotel, this was the residence of Samuel Crompton. It was built in 1730 using many of the bricks of the building that was here before that, a Dominican friary. That friary had been founded in the 13th century. It was called the Black Friary because the monks there wore black robes. The monks here did not believe in seclusion and actually went out to the people to preach, which was very unique at the time. Legend claims that a black-robed friar haunts the pub's basement. One of the monks died from a serious illness in 1257, and the circumstances of his passing were odd. His name was Freight Ruffalo, and while he was given last rites and the holy sacraments, he closed his eyes and smiled and exclaimed, The glorious King St. Edmund had entered his cell, and the whole chamber is filled with angelic spirits. The Virgin Mary, our great and blessed lady, has come. Apparently he saw Jesus Christ, who had come to judge him, and Freight Ruffalo screamed in mortal agony, While breaking out in a powerful sweat and shaking from head to foot, he then said, It is true, O my Jesus, pardon that offense, for it was slight. And then he finally died after exclaiming, Assuredly, he, Jesus, is merciful, and I have tasted of his mercy. Makes you wonder what he said, Hey, you screwed up over here. (laughs) Poor monk's like, It was just, it was slight, I didn't mean it. But it was just a small infraction, Jesus. When you said it like that, you're starting to make me think of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) But of course. (laughs) Could this be the monk roaming the rooms here? Another headless monk has been seen as an apparition as well. The former friary burial ground was at this property at one time and bones were recovered during rebuilds. Henry Mosley owned the hotel in the 19th century and he committed suicide by shooting himself. His unhappy spirit has apparently been spotted in the bedrooms upstairs. And now, Denise, we have our final bar on our pub crawl here. It's the Tiger Bar, and it's connected to Derby's Guild Hall with what we're going to talk about here.
1: The entrance to the Tiger Bar is very simple. The name Tiger Bar on a green background with the words, Good Food, served Daily. It is a standard old coaching inn, but the location is unique. The pub is situated in Lockup Yard, and if one walks through to a back room of the bar, they can access a network of tunnels that runs beneath Derby's Guild Hall that was once used to transport prisoners between the police station and the courts. Only part of the tunnels can be accessed today, but apparently they snake out beneath large portions of the city. One of the ghosts that apparently haunts the tunnels belongs to a 12-year-old boy who is seen wearing rags for clothes. Workmen first spotted him in the 1970s, and when they asked what he was doing down there, he answered, I live here. No one knows for sure what the story is behind this apparition.
0: And I believe the work that was being done was underneath the Bank of Scotland that's right there. So that's where they supposedly had seen his spirit.
1: Another spirit belongs to a condemned prisoner named Richard Thorley. He was sentenced to die after slitting his girlfriend's throat in a rage. He was the last public execution in Derby, and that took place in 1862. He is not only seen in the tunnels, but on Asgard Street as a chained man, and his victim is sometimes seen with him, wearing a blue dress. Alice Wilden was an anti-war campaigner, and she was convicted of trying to kill Prime Minister David Lloyd George in 1917. Some say she was unjustly convicted, so perhaps that is why she haunts these tunnels as well. One of the guides that takes people into the tunnels is paranormal investigator Richard Felix, whom some of you may know from the UK's
0: most haunted television program.
1: He runs the ghost walks in town and also owns the Derby Jail Museum.
0: Which takes us into the Derby Jail. The first order to build a jail in Derby came in 1166, but it was not followed through with because it was deemed unnecessary since most prisoners were taken to Nottingham Castle and judged there. When good old Henry VIII came to power, he put out another order for a jail, and so one was erected across the width of the corn market. It was not a great location as the prisoner cells were built level with Markeaton Brook, which ran alongside the jail and served as Derby's sewer. Can you imagine? It's already bad enough to be in jail, and then you got the sewer running right by your window there. Well,
1: you probably wouldn't want to go back to jail
0: if you got out. That might fix you, that's for sure. The foul smell and deaths due to disease forced officials to move the jail to a new location. They chose Nun's Green outside of town to the west. It seemed perfect because, well, they used to do executions out there, so why not put the jail right on top of that? Great idea. Architect William Herens, I don't know if he's any relation to <laughs> Matthew, designed the structure and much of the stone from the original jail was used to build the new one. Derby Jail opened in 1756 with room for... Twenty-nine prisoners. And as you guys can already probably guess, that would not be nearly enough room. Can you imagine 29 cells? This is a big city. It's not huge at the time, but still.
1: But it seems like this is a theme. They never built enough cells for the
0: prisoners. No, because I, th- I think they just figured, well, we'll stack bodies on top of each other. It doesn't matter.
1: The Love of Derby was called the Bloody Code and included everything from murder and treason distilling to, to being seen on the street with a sooty face.
0: So I'm thinking Mary Poppins and the Chimney Sweeps. Boy, they'd be in trouble. Yeah, Jim Timmery to jail you go. Yeah, Jim Chimney, Jim Chimmery, I'm going to jail. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I like your new new version, Diane. There we'll we see, go. We'll see if Disney will buy it. It's going to Broadway, I promise folks.
1: Woohoo. Executions were carried out at the jail. Jeremiah Brandreth, Isaac Ludlum, and William Turner were some of the first to be executed for high treason. Their sentence was to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. This was the last time an axe was used to behead in Derby. The next group of men accused of high treason were the Cato Street men, Arthur Thistlewood, John Thomas Brunt, Richard Tidd, James Ing, and William Davidson. And their sentence was commuted to hanging and beheading only, and this was done by a knife of a surgeon. We all know that in our past human history of public executions, such events became a family affair for entertainment pack a picnic and watch an execution. It was the same in Derby, only things got far more gruesome and morbid. The law declared that after hanging, the body shall be given over to the surgeons for dissection and a body shall not be suffered to be buried until it has been dissected or anatomized. So basically, mom, dad, and the kids would watch the hanging and then follow the criminal's body that was being carried in a cart to Shire Hall in St. Mary's Gate, where they could then watch the dissection. The mutilated body would then be put on public display for a couple of days in hopes that it would prevent further crime.
0: We know that times were quite different back then, but I already thought, my gosh, I can't believe these people would bring their kids out hey kids let's watch a public hanging this will be great and now we're not only taking the kids to watch hangings but hey now we're going to get to watch the body be dismembered and dissected and then it's going to be just left up on the steps here so you can walk by it for a couple days while it's roasting in the
1: sun and it makes you wonder how many serial killers were born during that
0: time or created more likely it does make you wonder because you hear a lot of our serial killers were fascinated by dead bodies or dead things. And yeah, so I I don't know. I just I can't imagine as protective as parents are nowadays about what their kids might see on TV. It's like, can you imagine this? Was it just on TV? This is like in front of you. And I don't have any years here. But as we were saying, when it came to hangings there it wasn't just that they would hang them from the neck until they were dead like we were doing over here they were being drawn and quartered and let's hang them and then behead them it's like wow can you imagine i'm going to commute your sentence so that you're not going to be drawn and quartered after you've been hung we're just going to go ahead and behead you so we're not going to take your intestines out along with it until later yeah and cut off your arms and legs and things so we'll, we'll wait until you get dissected and then that'll happen to you <laughs> Prison cells were never cleaned out at the jail and became quite rank. Any prisoners not sentenced to die were allowed to roam the corridors and most did to avoid their noxious cells. John Howard instituted prison reform in 1787 and the jail was cleaned up. There were many attempts for escape but few were successful and the punishment if you were caught was harsh. You would be sentenced to be hanged. So you might have gone in there for stealing something small, a little infraction. But if you escape and they catch you, uh, you're in trouble because they're they're just going to hang you. So you might have had just a little infraction. So I guess that would prevent you from even thinking about trying to escape. Because of the horrid conditions and the amount of death that the Derby jail housed, it now seems to be haunted. And many say that it is the most haunted location in Derby. I would deduct they're probably right with all the stuff that happened.
1: Richard Felix himself has had numerous experiences since he bought the jail. He witnessed a human-like gray misty form walking down a corridor past him and then it disappeared at the end of the hall. During renovations, a construction worker claimed that a cell door closed by itself while he was working in the cell. And while he worked in the cell, he was overcome by nausea several times. This same cell has made numerous investigators and visitors sick. Another visitor saw the horrific vision of two men hanging from a fixed beam inside of a cell. The Derby Jail website reports an experience two women had. Two ladies on one occasion left the jail in tears, clutching their throats and feeling unable to breathe. They had felt that something was around their neck. On the way out of the jail, they passed a figure standing by the door whom they incorrectly assumed was an actor. He was bald and was wearing a sleeveless leather outfit, which the ladies described as looking like a body warmer type garment. This same figure has also been seen in the day room, quite disturbing one of the female eyewitnesses who described it as evil and a murderer.
0: A female ghost was seen in the jail when it served as a pub called The Secret Place. Three men saw her apparition walk down a corridor and up some stairs. When they followed her, they found that she had disappeared. They opened the door that they thought she had gone out and a fresh blanket of snow revealed no footprints. To me, it would be even weirder if you saw footprints and she just there was no way that she could have just ran away that fast. So then you're seeing a spirit actually making footprints too. That would really blow my mind. Another visitor saw the body of someone hanging in a doorway and he figured it was a fake scare that had been installed. When he mentioned it to the people around him, they gave him a strange look because none of them saw a body hanging anywhere poltergeist activity is prevalent with articles flying through the air or moving and artifacts from the museum go missing again only to return a couple months later so they're like and it makes me wonder if some of them are taking back their own property since these are artifacts that probably were a part of the jail at one time so it might be a prisoner saying hey that's my book or whatever and so they take it back and then they return it cell doors are heard opening and closing on their own all the time Other specters that have been seen are two children, a young blonde woman lying on a bed in one of the cells, a man in a scarlet coat, and of course our shadow figures.
1: And leaving the jail to go to the Pickford House Museum. Joseph Pickford was an architect who built his home in Derby in 1770. Today it is run by the Derby Museum's Trust as the Pickford's House Museum. It is a Georgian-style house built from red brick. Most homes that Pickford designed were in the Palladian style and many of his clients belonged to the Lunar Society, which was a group of prominent and intellectual men who met each month on the night of the full moon. Pickford left the home to Reverend Joseph Pickford and he extended and divided it into two properties. The house went through a series of owners until the Derby City Council bought it in 1982. The museum is decorated as it might have appeared in the early 1800s. And there's a fun fact here, is that it houses a collection of toy theaters. There are three ghosts reputedly here. One is believed to belong to one of the Pickford children who is seen dancing in the house. The other two are servants, a woman who is seen in the kitchen, and a gardener who is seen walking along the lawns he once worked so hard on.
0: Next we have the Derby Cathedral. As we mentioned, a city was not considered a city without a cathedral. During the late 19th and early 20th century, England began transforming churches into these cathedrals. The All Saints Church in Derby became Derby Cathedral in 1927. The All Saints Church was originally founded in 943 A.D. by King Edmund. Throughout the years, it was rebuilt and added to, with King Henry VIII adding the 212-foot tower during his reign. The church was demolished in 1723, leaving only the tower and then rebuilt under the design of James Gibbs. The new church featured memorial carvings and ornate wrought iron screens. Something else seems to have been added to the cathedral, and that is hauntings. Many spirits have been seen in the vicinity of Derby Cathedral. One specter belongs to Charles Edward Stewart. He has been seen wearing Jacobite clothing and entering the cathedral. Bonnie Prince Charlie reputedly haunts the premises. And we have our infamous lady in white here. She appears to be crying and walks the stairs at the back of the building.
1: It's about time she showed up because all the other places kept having ladies in gray. And now the Old Bell Hotel. The Old Bell Hotel was originally a coaching inn built around 1650, making this Derby's oldest hotel, bar, and restaurant. It was the main stopover for people traveling by coach through the country. At the time, there were 50 guest rooms. The Old Bell Hotel is believed to be haunted by several ghosts. One of the most famous spirits belongs to a former linen maid named Mabel. Linden made stripped beds, washed the sheets, and then remade the beds. She had taken up with a young man in town and become pregnant. He was taken off to fight in a war and was killed. She was so distraught upon hearing of his death that she hanged herself in room six. Her ghost has been witnessed in the bar area and in room six. Guests have come back to their room to find their clothes neatly folded at the bottom of their beds, and when they inquire if a member of the staff has done this, no one claims to have done it. And the management is said to tell the guests that the staff are lazy and would never do such a thing.
0: Can you imagine, Denise, you working at the Polynesian Resort, and somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, I don't know if it was one of the cleaning ladies, but somebody folded all of our clothes for us and put them at the end of the bed. We'd sure like to thank her." And you'd be like, huh, "The maids around here are way too lazy. They would not have done that."
1: <laughs> I would never say that because I love my housekeepers. So y'all keep
0: mousekeeping because you're awesome. Mousekeeping, I love it.
1: A staff member claims to have caught Mabel's apparition in a photo.
0: People are not sure if Mabel is the poltergeist that is experienced in the dining room or if someone else is haunting the restaurant. One waitress claimed that after she set the tables in the restaurant, something moved the silverware into a different order. Again, here we have a prankster, Denise. That's what I would be doing. Look, she turned her back. Quick, move the spoon and the fork.
1: Or maybe they're like, okay, what's wrong with you? You put
0: it in the wrong order. So that he, could be. Maybe they're like, no, this is the way you're supposed to be doing it. Exactly. A barmaid was once hit in the back of the head by a wooden coat hanger when no one else was anywhere near her. Another upstairs room is haunted by a servant girl who appears when children are present. It is thought she was murdered by the Jacobites in 1745. She is seen dressed in 18th century clothing with a white cap. Another sighting of this one was in the 1930s by a landlord whose son was suffering an asthma attack and was choking. He ran into the boys' room and discovered a lady dressed in what he thought was some kind of 18th century costume, bending his son over and patting him on the back. As the boy's father took over, the mysterious figure simply vanished before his eyes. And again, in the 1950s, this same woman was seen standing over a baby in this same room that was being used as a nursery. The mother thought she was going to pick up the baby, so she rushed over, I don't know, to protect the baby or something, only to watch the spirit fade away.
1: So she's definitely connected to the young ones, and it seems very protective.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least she's being helpful.
1: There are so many places in Derby that are said to be haunted. Is there really a division of Roman troops still marching along the Chester Green? Does PC Joseph Moss, the first police officer killed in Derby, haunt the fish market that stands over the former police station where he served? Does a ghost sporting a long black overcoat walk between the walls of the McDonald's and a footlocker on St. Peter's Street? Are any of the previous locations we covered in this episode haunted? Is Derby really one of the most haunted cities in Britain? Well, that is for you to decide.
0: Well, that was a lot of hauntings going on there in the city of Derby. Another place we need to visit, Denise.
1: Yes, I've added it to the list.
0: And now, Denise, we're going to head to Montana. And I think we've only done one other place in Montana. This next episode is going to be about Conrad Mansion Museum. We're looking forward to bringing that to you guys. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that?
1: They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we did hear from Lindsay at the website Hi, ladies. Keep up the great work. This is definitely my go-to podcast. I'm a proud member of the Spectacular crew, and pretty soon I'll be donating $5 a month. Keep up the great podcast. And thank you so much for that, Lindsay. We really appreciate having you as a listener.
0: Samuel sent us a message about a ghost tour in Copenhagen, Denmark. He said while the tour guide was talking I kept feeling that I was being watched from the second floor window behind me and I kept looking over my shoulder towards the window. The guide started giving the backstory about who they believed was haunting the location. At some point she pointed out that the person used to live in the very apartment I got the weird vibe from when they were alive. The location is a halfway house for people with drug and alcohol problems. The apartment was empty at that time because it seemed that no one could handle living there very long. So I wonder if something was looking at Samuel and he was feeling it. Sounds like it. And we did get an
1: email from Alex. Hi there. I recently first heard you guys on Most Notorious with Eric Riveness and I was hooked instantly. I've been looking for a podcast like this for years and I'm so glad that I've finally found one. I've been binge listening to all of your episodes and I am in love. It is on my bucket list to do a U.S. tour of haunted places, and I promise that your podcast will be right there with me. Keep up the great work, ladies. Also, please let Denise know that I was a lead cast member at my local Disney store and super jealous of her job. Thank you for being a former cast member. How fun is that? And another fun fact about Alex is her last name is Serbian and she's checking into haunts in Serbia for us.
0: Which kind of goes along with our legends of the Balkans. So I look forward to seeing whatever she can dig up because that's not an area that we spend a whole lot of time talking about.
1: No, but it might end up getting added to the list because even though it really creeps me out, I'd kind of like to go see some of these places.
0: We want to thank Terry for the email that you sent us. It was fairly personal, so we're not going to share it, but we just wanted to send out a thank you for that. And Giovanni sent us an email. Hi, ladies. Just wanted to say that I love the show. I heard about you guys from Bizarre States, and since then I've been hooked. My favorite episodes are the ones about folklore legends of certain regions. So probably just loved that one I just mentioned, Legends of the Balkans. I definitely think you guys should do more of them. I don't know if you guys did any ghost tours here in San Antonio, Texas on your recent trip, but I think there might be a location worth looking into. And he gave us that suggestion. There are many other places to look into. But anyway, ladies, please keep up the good work. I look forward to your show every week. So thank you for sending that suggestion to us, Giovanni. And we did do a ghost tour there in San Antonio. Really enjoyed it. We have a couple of reviews to share from iTunes. The first one is from Kevin V in Ohio, entertaining five stars. This podcast is entertaining and interesting. Joining history and hauntings, the two best topics, love the host. Well, thank you, Kevin, for that. And y 2 trey 0 I love it, five stars. Hi, Denise and Diane. I found your show listening to The Lift and The Wicked Library. Love those two podcasts, by the way, but didn't start it till a month ago, June 28th, 2017. The podcast I'm on is October 5th, 2015. I have so many to catch up on. I just made it through your first year anniversary. I can't wait to catch up to you guys to see how you've grown. Well, thanks for listening. want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers Kevin Vale, Allison Redland, Alex Franjesovich, Jason and Jonah Widmer, Colin Champ, and welcome back to Rachel Hoare. Thanks. Be sociable,
1: drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter. At History goes bump, like the page and follow us.